Hello and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and the nuance behind the headlines. My name is Alex Wilhelm. I'm a reporter here at TechCrunch and I am joined, as always, by my friend, Natasha Moscarinas. Natasha, hello. Hello, hello. Coming at you live for the last time this year in San Francisco. Yes, you are going to Jersey, I believe, for the rest yeah. of the year. Next six weeks. Catch me there. Actually, yeah. no one catch me there. I'll be home <laughs> with my parents. <laughs> I just want to point out that like it's like 38 degrees on the East Coast right now. Okay. So you're leaving California and heading to the tundra, which was an error. Good. Like, cancel your flights. <laughs> stay home. Anyways, so we are talking about something very particular today. This is, of course, our Wednesday show where we niche down to a single topic and drill in more deeply And we have been talking, Natasha, quite a lot internally about what the hell happened with Zillow. And essentially, you know, there was a business model change. There's a question of competition. Quite a lot to unpack here. But first, for people who don't get high and look at housing listings, what is Zillow? Yeah, I mean, my parents actually spent a lot of time looking at our neighborhood on Zillow. It is basically a website where you can surf through homes near you or even in places you want to eventually move and look how much you can't afford them through Zestimates, (laughs) which is just their fancy way of saying how much that house would potentially sell for based on their algorithms. Which we'll get back to in just a minute, because the news item out there isn't that people like to use Zillow. That's been around for some time. It's not a new company, really. It's public, you know, to give you some reference, but the company had some news in its last earnings report that it is going to give up on its eye buying efforts. And eye buying, if you don't know, is when companies buy up a lot of houses and try to sell them for a profit. And a company like Zillow that has data and has, you know, access to all of our traffic information, you would think would be a great fit for this. However, it hasn't gone according to plan. So what we have done is we have dragged in Ryan Lawler, who's (laughs) going to help us figure out what's going on in the eye buying world. First of all, Ryan, hello. How are you? I am doing well. Good. Uh, Folks who don't know, Ryan and I actually go back a thousand years in the podcasting game because we used to be on Crunch Week together back in like 2014. Oh my gosh, those were the days. Yeah. Yeah. I I went back to look at the videos and then I realized how much worse I looked and I was like, okay, we're going to banish these to the ash heap of history. Anyways. (laughs) My my Ryan connection is that he was one of the first people I recognized on Twitter. Like, you know how like when you're first joining tech Twitter, you just like start to see the same names come up a few times. Ryan Lawler was one of the first names that I was like, okay, I think he's important because I see him coming up a lot on my timeline. Well, I wouldn't say I'm important, but that's fine. (laughs) You're you're important to us. Now, Ryan, for folks out there who don't know, can you give us just a little bit of a breakdown of what iBuying is past the fact that it's just kind of the mass purchase of homes? Yeah. So the idea behind iBuying, whether Zillow's doing it or OpenDoor or OfferPad or, you know, there's a couple of companies that are in this sector. The idea is that a company, if you want to list your home for sale, a company will offer up uh, an immediate sales price to you. And so you don't have to go through all the rigmarole of listing your house and, you know, having open houses and showing it, you know, the company just buys it. And then they do some repairs, maybe they do some renovations, they turn it around and then they sell it. And the idea is, in theory, that uh, the iBuyer will, you know, pay for it at about or slightly below market value. They'll put some money into it and then sell it for more than they bought it for. The problem that Zillow ran into was that it was making offers on houses above market value and then selling them for less than they bought the houses for, which so both is ends were kind yeah. of messed up. Yeah, both ends were kind of messed up. And we can talk a little bit about about why that is and how that affected the market. I mean, you would think it'd be a great way to build revenue. A lot of startups lose money. I, I don't get why everyone's being so censorious towards Zillow. I mean, my gosh. I mean, 
They they bought so many homes. I, I don't know. I, as a growth hack for the top line side of their operations, it's not bad. Okay, uh, but Ryan, what did go wrong? So Natasha brought up the Zestimate earlier. Everyone's favorite tool to kind of figure out uh, what their house might be worth in theory, though now I don't trust it. So what went wrong? You know, what went wrong was that their algorithms were not that good. And whether it was the Zestimate um, or I'm sure they have some non-public facing algorithm for pricing homes or uh, estimating what they their value should be. It just didn't work. And so, you know, going into the third quarter, they were buying up lots of homes. Um, they were actually bidding up the prices uh, beyond just what the markets were asking for in certain cities. And then finding out on on the other end of the, the sale that um, the homes weren't worth as much as they had originally paid for them. It's legitimately impressive that in a period in which housing prices seem to have gone up by like a million percent a year, they managed to lose money. And I, I went through the Zillow earnings call and they asked about this and the investor was like, given the market going up, how did you guys manage to lose money? And they were like, <laughs> fluctuations. And I'm like, what fluctuations? It's been going up. Like, did I say, when did it go down? Well, I think that was part of it, right? Is that, you know, as they entered into the third quarter, they had seen, you know, 12, 18 months of really high home price appreciation. And then, you know, they hit the third quarter and it started to cool. And so uh, they okay. were still operating under the assumption that home prices were going to continue going up at whatever rate they had been going up, and uh, they just didn't. And so they were caught kind of flat-footed. The other part of this that's really interesting is that in the second quarter, they actually decided to be more aggressive in uh, their home buying operation. And I think that was part of the problem as well, is that you know, uh, they had this algorithm, they were missing out on certain bids, they weren't buying as many properties as they wanted to. And so they actually kind of, you know, tweaked it a little bit so that they would be more aggressive. And then they got Mm -hmm. totally caught flat footed when the market turned just a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I was always curious if like the market cooling down was the stress test these companies needed in order to prove that iBuying was more than a market boom sort of business model. Do you feel like there's other companies out there that are proving that or are we still waiting for proof that it's not just a hot market that's making iBuying kind of work for other companies? Yeah, well, as I said, there are other companies that are operating in the market and, you know, Luckily for us, a few of them are actually public. And so Open Door, which has been around uh, since 2014, they recently went public. And, you know, a week after Zillow had their third quarter earnings announcing that they were getting out of the market, Open Door gave their numbers and their numbers actually looked pretty good, um, yes. really good. Maybe Alex can can walk through those numbers and sees better at it than I am. Before we get into Open Door, I want to just talk about Zillow and the impacts of all this. This isn't just an academic exercise talking about business models and what makes the most sense, Ryan. There's a real human cost to this, a real human impact. Yeah. So, I mean, on the business side, Zillow is going to be writing down more than $540 million on the inventory side, just because they have so many homes that they can't sell. But they're also going to be laying off 25% of their workforce. Um, so cutting about 2,000 jobs. Wow. And you know, these are all people that were in market in various places, whether they were inspectors or real estate agents or, you know, people just doing the labor. And so, yeah, it's a it's a huge loss for them, you know, both from a financial perspective and for the employee base. And like 
kind of ironically, one of the reasons that Zillow cited when they were talking about leaving the iBuying market was that they were struggling with the labor side of it, the labor side of renovating homes and then bringing them back on the market. That takes a lot of like human construction work. So I think that's what caused some other companies to slow down their buying. Zillow, obviously, we just talked about didn't. And that's another reason why they're now having to lay off people. It's kind of amazing how much the macro environment has come up in my conversations with tech companies. Like just for example, I was talking to the CEO of Root, the um, kind of neo-insurance, auto-insurance focused company in the US that's now public. And one thing that they've been hit with is rising costs of used cars, thanks to inflation in the current market and the chip shortage and so forth. And also the fact that it just is more expensive now to repair vehicles. And so essentially labor costs have gone up, used car prices have gone up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that has actually shaken up the auto insurance market so much in the US that advertising is down across the entire sector because no one knows how to price insurance. And so essentially no one wants to actually bring on new customers because they don't know how to price the coverage. Who would have thought that a chip <laughs> shortage would lead to root having gross margin declines or whatever? I mean, like it's fascinating to see how it all trickles down into that world and into the iBind space. It's very interesting to me. Ryan, I have some data for you. Zillow said they wanted to stay within 200 basis points or, or 2%, give or take, of break-even economics. And then they said later on in their investor letter that... They saw their economic swing in Zillow offers, this particular part of their business, negative 1,200 basis points from Q2 to an expected negative 500 to negative 700 basis points in Q4. I mean, my gosh, that is so embarrassing for a company that has all the data. I mean, I just can't imagine why this got so twisted. Someone's getting fired. And it's not just the 2,000 people. Like Someone internally f***ed up. Well, I think that's part of the story. And I think that that is uh, part of the difference between what Open Door is doing and why they've managed to be successful versus, you know, what happened with Zillow. You know, if you go back a couple of years, Keith Raboy, who is, you know, a uh, founder of Open Door, back when Zillow first announced that they were entering this market, he said, if they buy homes at the Zestimate price, they'll be bankrupt quickly. And if they don't, isn't the Zestimate fraudulent? Um, and so Ooh. it was just, you know, really early on throwing shade at, at at the pricing data that Zillow was putting out there in the world. It's especially shocking given that Keith Raboy is famous for being so uh, moderate and relaxed in his views and, you know, <laughs> avoiding the strident cheap shot at competitors. Uh, I want to point out there that Open Door is doing very, very well. So at least Keith had a directional point back in the day. Ryan, you asked for these numbers, so here you go. So in the third quarter, Open Door had revenues of 2.3 billion, up 91% compared to 2Q of this year. So we're not looking at a year-over-year comparison. We're looking at a sequential quarter differential because 2020 was kind of a mess in the housing market, and so it kind of makes more sense to compare their recent performance to what's going on now versus a year ago. Anyways. What we really care about is houses. How many houses were involved in driving the revenue numbers that we just saw? Well, in the third quarter, they sold 5,988 homes. Okay, fair enough. But they actually purchased 15,181 homes in the quarter and grew their overall inventory balance to 17,164 homes, representing, and this blew my mind, $6.3 billion in value. That's a lot of money. It's it's they're taking on more risk, Natasha, when we're seeing Zillow run away, which I, I... was impressed by it. And I think you can kind of, when you were the early company in the market, Open Door was founded in 2014 and Zillow entered the market of iBuying in 2018. And I think with something like data, being early actually matters versus other businesses, you can just throw a lot of money at the problem and hope you get it right. I think it also depends on the type of data that we're talking about. And so when you talk about, you know, uh, the data that Zestimates is built on, right, it's a lot of like, public data. It's a lot of data that Zillow sees just in 
in terms of like what homes are being listed for and what they're being sold for in you know a certain neighborhood or a certain market but you know that that type of data really is table stakes so you know independent of this story i I talked to a couple of open door executives uh, for another story i was working on before the zillow news even came around and so they talked me through you know some of the different types of data that they collected and so they have a lot of first party data that they get through their seller information flow. They have a virtual walkthrough where they basically have uh, sellers like take photos or video of various parts of their house. And so, you know, they've done something like 175,000, maybe 200,000 inspections uh, since they've been founded. And each of those inspections, whether it's in person or virtual, collects like 100 data points. And so that's stuff that, you know, Zillow was not seeing as part of their estimates collection that gives open door an, an advantage. Yeah, I guess it's kind of a reminder of how human eye buying is, even though it has like an eye in front of it. <laughs> like there is so much in person or at least like stuff that you can't scale super fast dynamics at play. And that also actually struck me about open door, because I think you assume if it's a fast growing tech company that they're automating everything. But it sounds like they continue to rely on in person. As, as part of their model? Well, actually, no, a, a lot of what they did has moved virtual. Um, okay. And part of, part of that was just because of the COVID-19 pandemic, right? Before that, they were sending inspectors into people's homes before, you know, they actually decided to buy a property. And then, you know, over the past year, they've moved to a completely virtual flow for acquiring that information where there's actually an app where if you're a seller, you can you know, take photos or, or whatever around the house just to um, give them, you know, a view of, of what they would be potentially oh, buying. Oh, damn. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So so it's, it's very much moved uh, digitally as opposed to, you know, in person the way it used to be. I, I want to point out, though, that while obviously Open Door is doing better at iBind than Zillow did, it's still taking on a lot of risk. And going back to the number of houses they have on the market, like if if we did see a downturn and they have 16,000 homes on their books that they have to service, you know, they have to hold on to and, and pay for, uh, th- there's a lot of risk there. And so there's kind of an inherent optimism about the, the housing market and the US economy as a whole baked into this. Whereas I think Zillow probably has some more downside protection being mostly an internet business. Well, now entirely being an internet business again, uh, because software is a little bit easier to, to tune down and up on a cost basis than, uh, than real estate, I'd say. Ryan, is that fair or am I talking out my ass again? I think that's fair. And I think if you look through their numbers and you look at the third quarter and their, their estimates for the fourth quarter, one thing that they, that they did mention is that their contribution margins did shrink because of the home price appreciation slowed down. And they expected that to extend into the fourth quarter, especially in the fourth quarter, you know, they're, they're going to be slowing down their buying because just seasonally end of year is a bad time to buy and sell homes, uh, generally speaking. But even beyond that, they still expect contribution margins of four to six percent, which, you know, considering the amount uh, of capital that they have to put into it and uh, the amount of inventory that they have to hold over a certain period of time, that is not bad. And, you know, it's actually a business that you can live on at scale. Yeah. And just to put that into numbers, in the Q3 report, Open Door says contribution profit was 170 million or 7.5%. 
versus 128 million in the second quarter, which was 10.8%. So a really serious decline in, in that number. That's 33 basis points in uh, 90 days, which I'm not going to do the math out there because we get into sub basis points. But like, it's pretty quick as far as margin erosion goes. It'll be fun to see how that changes up. But let's talk about some other companies. Ryan, there's at least one more public firm inside of our matrix here, and that is OfferPad. Ryan, tell me about them. Yeah, I mean, OfferPad operates uh, the same way that Opendoor does. And, you know, they've been around almost as long. They were founded in 2015. So they're a little bit younger. They're a little bit smaller. They're not in nearly as many markets. And generally speaking, you know, their business did about as well as Opendoor's did, just on a smaller scale because yeah. they're in fewer places. One thing that hit me is that Opendoor had revenues of 2.3 billion, gross profit of 200 million, so just under 10% essentially. And then if you go look at the offer pad numbers, they had revenues of 540 and gross profit of 53. So again, about 10%. So there seems to be a kind of a, an agreed upon range in the market of 10% gross margins, which I, Ryan, you said earlier that the, the numbers kind of make sense. But to me, that doesn't seem to be that big, even given the high dollar value of these homes, uh, if the market was less attractive. If the market keeps going up, you always look like a genius. But I wonder what's going to happen to this, these businesses in a, in a you know, sustained downturn, which will eventually come. We can't live in this bull market forever. But let's talk about startups. So Ryan, you are the, uh, the fintech expert on the show today, so you are going to stay in the hot seat. Are we seeing smaller companies try to get towards the iBuying space, or is this mostly a, a playground for the mega wealthy and the large? Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, it's just, it's just really difficult to operate in this market. It, there's, it, it's just hugely capital intensive. And so even just getting started is really difficult, especially when you have uh, companies like Open Door that are in so many places already. And so there are, there are a few smaller competitors out there, uh, Redfin, which uh, sure. also kind of operates like Zillow. They have an iBuying offering. There's a startup called Knock. There's another startup called Door. But generally speaking, just... just <laughs> can, can, can they was, was merge even, so they can be called yeah, Doorknock? <laughs> was that intentional? <laughs> and then there's a thing called Window, and there's one called Pain, and one called Roof, Great and one called Shingle. Fintechs, honestly, like all of them make sense. <laughs> Sorry, right? But I, but but the bigger point is that really, like, each of them is only in you know a few markets. Whereas Open Doors in forty four now, yeah. they continue to expand. You know, they probably won't expand that much over the winter because, again, seasonally it doesn't really make sense, uh, especially as as things get cold. You don't want to launch in that type of an environment. But generally speaking, it's just. It's really, really tough to get into this market. It's really tough to to do it well. And, you know, as we mentioned earlier, you're you would be entering into it at a severe disadvantage from severe. a data and capital perspective. So I think it's gonna be really tough for anyone else to enter eye buying, uh, at least in the US. And then internationally, frankly, uh, I looked it up this morning. I couldn't really find a lot of eye buying operations around the world, but you know, as often happens, if a model proves itself out in the U.S., yeah. then you kind of see copycats in, in different regions. So I wouldn't rule it out. 
yeah, there's a startup idea for anyone listening. Um, but yeah, no, just to go off of what you're saying, Ryan, like it also sounds like iBuying isn't a wedge that startups can use and kind of tiptoe into and 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 use it to gain customers down the road. The, the same way we see fintechs maybe offering other services like credit cards to eventually get stickier customers and like a lifetime value. I feel like iBuying is way too complicated and particularly a bad idea at all to get involved in housing because it's a market that's just so out of your own control that um, if you can avoid doing that, why not de-risk yourself a little bit? This reminds me of when I was talking to, to Hippo after one of their earnings calls. They do um, like a homeowner's insurance to some degree. And I was like, man, your, your gross margins took a hit. And they're like, yeah, there was a huge hailstorm in Texas. Oh and I was That's like, it. word? They're like, yeah, well, we have, <laughs> we have a lot of exposure to Texas. I'm like, damn, I have a much easier life than you guys. Sorry, Ryan, you were going to say something. That goes into a little bit of what's going to be driving uh, Open Doors business going forward is beyond just buying and selling of homes, uh, they're looking to do more value add services. So right. title insurance, homeowners insurance, you know, all of the other things that uh, go with purchasing a house, they can either sell themselves or they can, you know, act as a cost per action selling for someone else, uh, referring to one of these other businesses. Yeah. I mean that to me, and I'm sure to investors too, feels a lot more stable of a bet to make. Um, Alex, I guess I'm wondering, like, I know we, we haven't seen this yet become a profitable business alone. Like I buying itself isn't profitable. Even open door is losing money. So oh, yeah. how bullish are you on I buying and what it's going to look like five years from now? Yeah, I'm not that okay. Love bullish that. on it. Um, <laughs> Currently, Open Door is doing a lot of great stuff. Like, I mean, uh, reading through the numbers is very impressive. I covered them when they announced their SPAC deal. I, you know, I, I've been tracking this company for some time. But uh, you're right, Natasha. They do lose money. They had uh, negative net income of 57 million in Q3 and negative 144 million in Q2. That's a lot. That's not nothing. Even on an adjusted basis, their adjusted net income is still negative. So, okay, so that's that's that take. But if Zilla doesn't have the data to make this work and they got high on their own Zestimate supply, cool. Open door is the closest to profitability, but again, I think the market has to be going up for this. I, I just, I, I wonder how this makes money in, in a less attractive market for homes. So that, that's my concern, but you know what? It doesn't matter what I think because I do not own open door stock. I own index funds. Actually, so I probably do own like some minute fraction of an open door share somewhere, but uh, it, it's a model that I find absolutely fascinating. And I, I'll be curious to see if they can bring on more higher margin business lines like Ryan mentioned, title insurance and so forth. And if that's the case, then huzzah, then the numbers make a lot more sense. I just, certainly the eye buying part of their business can't become gross margin neutral, right? They can't build enough of a business on other stuff. So it has to make money. I, I just, I, I wonder about the overall economics of it long-term, but I'm sure Keith Raboy will have a tweet for us telling us why we're quote, quote, wrong. Yeah, I forget what he was responding to, but at one point, Keith Raboy said there was no way to sell a home before Open Door existed. <laughs> wow. It's a good thing that homes have been held in the same hands for tens of thousands of years. This is my cave. You Beautiful. can't have it. Keith hasn't been born yet. For all the startups that are listening that maybe agree or disagree, like, as Ryan said, we're lucky we have a few companies that give us their numbers because they're public. But this is one of those industries where like actually having revenue numbers matters because so much of it can be smoke. And I think it matters less for some startups at this stage. It matters a lot more if you're in the iBuying space. Yeah. All right. And listen, we're going we're gonna to wrap it up here. We'll have Ryan back on the show as we cover fintech topics here and there. But I, I just want to say that the real heartbreak, the real catastrophe, the real mess here is that I need to remove our Zestimate from our net worth spreadsheet because apparently it's bullshit. 
And let me just tell you that it was very convenient to have someone else value this bit of property. All right. Uh, that's Equity. Ryan, thanks for speaking. Bye. Shout out Philadelphia. Shout out Sixers. And uh, Equity's back Friday morning. Goodbye. <laughs>